0: please visit RedemptionOKC.com. Question for you. How do we maintain a spiritual vitality, freshness, enjoyment, and all the ups and downs of life? It's a question I think we all wrestle with at times. There's days when we feel like we're doing pretty good. and there's days where we feel like, man, I don't, know that i can get anything right today uh, any of you feel that way yeah we're gonna look a little bit at that today and and some of the things scripture have to say and i wasn't going to start here today but as we were singing i just kept having a passage come to mind and i want to start there ezekiel 37 uh, i want you to know we have a god who bring loves to bring life to dead places He loves to resurrect things. He loves to breathe new life into places where it looks like there is none. And Ezekiel 37, uh, God is talking to prophet Ezekiel and says, the hand of the Lord was upon me and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley and it was full of bones. And he led me around among them and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, son of man, can these bones live don't you love that sometimes god leads us to a place and then just asks us a provoking question to make us think to make us make us stop and step back and wonder what's going on in the middle of all of the things of our lives and things that we see and uh, for ezekiel he was he was looking out upon a valley and he says these bones were not just bones but they were dry bones they were dead and they've been dead for a long time there was no life anywhere in them and god says can these bones live and i answered oh lord oh lord god only you know <laughs> right uh, there's a place of desperation he's like I, I give up i'm gonna i'm gonna depend upon you and the lord goes on and says prophesy of these bones are dry bones hear the word of the Lord." Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live and I will lay sinews upon you and I will cause flesh to come upon you. I will cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. See, one of the ways that we know that God is truly God is that he loves to bring life where it feels like there's nothing but death. And he he did that. And here he goes on and it's gonna, he's going to say, I will put my spirit within you and you will live. I will do it and you'll know that I'm the Lord. One of the ways we know that God is Lord is he breathes life into places where there's death. And friends, sometimes we've got these things in our life that feel like dead spots and dead places and we need the Lord to breathe new life into them. And so I want to encourage us with this um, this this message today that God wants to continue to, to bring new life in you. That He wants to continue to grow you spiritually. He wants to develop you spiritually. And we've been in the series. And uh, can I be honest with you? One of the reasons why we're in the series last spring, I looked at our team and I said, man, I'm just struggling. I'm tired physically. We've gone through a hard season coming out of 2020 and all the chaos. I feel like I looked at a world and everywhere I turned, it was exhausting. You get on social media and it's just a beatdown. and you start to have conversations. and You realize these things are so polarized. I just want to step back and go, I don't even want to engage some of this stuff because it's just such, there's so much turmoil. And we were in a busy season of transition with sending two kids off to college. It just felt like physically I was tired. Emotionally, I just felt kind of dry. Spiritually, things felt a little bit stale. And I told our team, I'm going to preach a series on the Holy Spirit in the fall because I need a series on the Holy Spirit. But, and I figure if I need a series on the Holy Spirit, you guys might too. And so just asking the Lord that he would somehow breathe life into us in the midst of this world, that he would somehow take, uh, somehow take our eyes off of us and all of our stuff and all the problems that we have and let us see something bigger and better. And so that we turn our eyes to the goodness and the grace and the greatness of God, and that that would somehow rejuvenate and restore our souls. And I feel like it's been good, right? So let's keep going and see what the Lord wants to do as we press into this series. Now... Um, if you think about this series, I want to I encourage you, if you've missed any of this, to go back and, and watch online. Uh, we're doing kind of a systematic walk through the, the theology of the Holy Spirit. And if you've missed some of that, they're, they're building blocks. And you really can't get to what we talked about today if you don't understand what we've talked about before. And because if you try to build what we say today without the foundation of the things we talked about before, uh, you're going to really wear yourself out and so you need to know the goodness of what we talked about so let me review just a minute and then we'll come back or we'll jump in today we're going to be in galatians chapter five if you've got your bibles you want to look at galatians chapter five along with us let me tell you where we've been and why this is so important we started off week one and we talked about the person of the holy spirit uh, everything starts with God. It starts out with the fact that God is personal. And we as Christians believe in a triune God, that God is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, three in one. And we believe that the Holy Spirit is personal. We can have a relationship with him th- as we can with any other person. And so um, he, he's, he's like us in that he is a relational being. He's unlike us in that he's infinite and far greater. He's holy other than we are in terms of his capacity for life and all things in his holiness. So we started with the person of the Holy Spirit that we can that we can know and trust and have a relationship with him. Jesus called him the helper that he's going to send to us. And so we went from the person of the Spirit when we established that, then we talked about the fellowship of the Spirit fellowship is a bible word that means friendship or connection or relationship and we said because the spirit is personal we can have a relationship with him that god desires to have a relationship with us and wants to know us and wants us to know him and so we can speak to him as we would a family member or a friend we can relate to him we can uh, the, the scriptures say that we're partakers of the divine nature meaning somehow we get to taste what it's like to be connected to divinity to 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 the god of the universe and so we talked about the relationship that we have. But what are the grounds of that relationship? Week three, we talked about the work of the Spirit. And there we solidified that it's the, the, the really all of this relationship is of grace, that it doesn't start with us climbing a ladder and working our way up to God. It doesn't start with us achieving certain spiritual goals. It doesn't start with us fulfilling all the law in and of ourselves, but it starts with God coming to us. And so it's an act of grace, That the Spirit comes to us. And we talked about the Spirit. The way in which we can enter into that fellowship or relationship with the Spirit is because we've been regenerated by the Spirit. We've been born again by the Spirit. We've been indwelt with the Spirit. So the Spirit comes to live within us. In that it says that the Spirit baptized us. So He baptized us into the body of Christ, which means we've got a new identity. We're no longer defined by self, but we belong to Jesus. And not only that, but he sealed us for the day of redemption, meaning that he gave us a down payment of his spirit as a promise that I, I begin a good work and you will continue it. I'm not going to let you go. That your mind may wander, your body may fail, but you will always belong to me and I will deliver you to me eternally. And so you have a security in the spirit. You see how important that is? It's important that you understand the person of God that drives this, the identity that we have in him that he and we understand that he desires a relationship with us, but that relationship's driven by the identity he gives us and by the security that we have through his taking residence up in us that's good news, right so only now, built on that foundation. Can we begin to talk about the things we're going to look at in the next couple of weeks? Which we're going to begin to shift outward. So not just how do we receive from the Spirit, but now how do we begin to walk in the Spirit? How do we begin to be led by the Spirit? What does it look like for us to use the gifts of the Spirit to, to have the unity of a mission that's built by the Spirit? We're going to begin to shift that direction in the next couple of weeks. And so today um, we're going to talk about the fruit of the Spirit and we're going to look at Galatians chapter 5. So um, here's what we're going to do today is we're going to unpack Five aspects of spiritual growth. So for those of you note takers, you want to know five aspects of spiritual growth. The first one is growth begins with our identity. Growth, our spiritual growth begins with our identity. Um, Romans 8, 14 says, for all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. So the the very foundation, the very beginning of being able to follow the Spirit's leadership begins with the identity that we're sons of God. Because we're sons, we want to follow the Spirit. We trust Him. Because He's been good to us and adopted us, um, the Father, then we want to follow His Spirit who's been sent to us. Uh, Augustine, it, it was always interesting, you know, centuries ago, Augustine said that the Spirit is or he almost compares God's grace and God's spirit as one the the, the the fact that we have God's grace is is bound up in the fact that we have His spirit and that His spirit is present with us and so God's grace in our lives is the spirit at work in our lives and so it's important for us to understand what it is that God is doing in us and what our partnership looks as we respond to receiving the spirit how is then we, we, we walk in the spirit well let's read in Galatians chapter 5 Starting verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for they are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you really want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. Now the works of the flesh are evident: sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies. As if that wasn't enough, he goes on and says, "And other things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. This is the word of the Lord written by Paul in Galatians in this great book where he writes or he talks about the victory that we have through grace and the freedom that we have through Christ and as he does he moves to this section now where he talks about the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit is going to bear fruit in our lives and be at work in our lives and uh, as you think about this uh, this passage right out of the gate you enter into some struggle don't you he starts off and he talks about this battle that's going on between the desires of the flesh and the desires of the spirit and that somehow they're opposed to one another against one another and so there's this battle that takes place and that really is the second aspect of spiritual growth that i want us to talk about today which is struggle is normal struggle is absolutely normal does that frustrate any of you it does me sometimes i I don't Honestly, understand completely why we, we baptize someone and we don't just hold them down and send them to heaven you know and like ah, oh, let's get this thing over with but we don't we raise them up we go raised to walk in newness of life and then they start walking and they go this is a lot harder than i thought it was going to be and, and yet we know there's a day when <clears throat> when we when christ will return and we're told that we will be made new that we'll be made to look like him and we call so we call that glorification that there's there's this process that we go through where we're saved and we become put into the person of Christ and we're justified in Christ. And then God begins to do this work called sanctification, which is this low, slow struggle process of being shaped to, become, to begin to look more like Christ. And then one day he says, I'm going to just make it all happen. And you're going to really look like Jesus. And there's times where I'm like, why do we have to have this lag? Right? like why do we have to start the process here and I know you're going to finish it here but right now I live in this place in the middle and the struggle is real right and any of you get frustrated with the struggle like can't we just fast forward this thing it's kind of like watching a movie that's not very good and you're like I think I'm going to skip ahead a little bit and sometimes I want to skip ahead a little bit in my sanctification process and and yet God has a purpose in the middle of the struggle and so we see that that very bluntly here and what it is that uh, that paul talks about in the struggle and i think the first thing we have to do if we want to grow spiritually is to admit that we have fleshly desires in us that compete against the desires of the spirit we've got these things that are that are that are pulling at us in different directions and so then the question becomes well then how do we change How, how do we change and how do we help one another grow spiritually well the world's answer There's an irreligious answer to this, and uh, there's kind of two two bad answers, and we're going to talk about a right answer. Uh, There's an irreligious or worldly answer to the way in which we should change, and what it says is, you should be yourself. You should just embrace those desires. That whatever those desires of your flesh are, you should just embrace those and go, well, that's the real me. And and as more I can walk in the freedom of those desires, then the more I will find my true self and my true identity and I'll embrace those things. The problem is that it doesn't lead you in a very good direction. But our world continues to say these things, which is um, follow your heart, trust in your desire. The only way you find the true you is to embrace all the things that your heart wants. And, but where does that lead us? It doesn't necessarily lead us to a God-honoring path, and it doesn't necessarily lead us to a path of love of a fellow man. It leads us to something that's very much driven by self. The problem with that is that everything rests upon your freedom, your street smarts, your ability, and your goodness. And when that's all, if you belong only to yourself, then, as one man said, this means an inhuman amount of pressure to discover, perform, and achieve your identity. Only you can do it. If your identity and your life is built only on self, then everything has to rest on your shoulders. And it's a place of exhaustion. And it's a place that does not lead to true human flourishing for you or for those around you. So that's one wrong approach. Another approach is a very religious approach that just says, well, what we're going to do is we're going to take all the things we think we ought to do and we're just going to push it down on you and press upon you and we're going to drive it into you and we're going to scream and yell and holler until you start behaving the way you're supposed to behave and when you step out of line, we're going to become angry and we're going to shame you and we're going to belittle you and we're going to put you down so that you, be, you fall in line with the things we think, with it, that we think you ought to do. And see how that, that doesn't lead us in a place of flourishing health either, does it? So the irreligious way and the religious way both fall short. But what Paul pushes us to in Galatians is a way that's driven by grace and by his spirit. And so he's pushing us to, he says, walk by the spirit. That's the path not to gratify the desires of the flesh. And when he talks about the desires of the flesh, I think it's important for us to just acknowledge that we're not good or wise enough in ourselves to choose the best way. We need God's help. We need a spirit to guide us in the midst of these things what he's saying when he talks about this flesh he's not just talking about the fact that you've got skin and stuff on you it's not talking about your physical body uh we we know that that can't be the ultimate problem because jesus had one as well and so it's not just having flesh that's a problem it's living within a realm of the old fleshly default mode that we've created in our lives and so when you think about what Paul's saying is he's not talking about your physical body and your ligaments and things. He's talking about the realm of life apart from God, when you're depending only on self, when your life is oriented and driven by self. <clears throat> it's talking about your desires that want to meet your own needs. And see, we're all born with an inclination and a desire for self-driven, <throat> self-dependent, self-pleasing ways. But this doesn't lead us to seek the things of God. Other places, the New Testament talks about the old man and the new man. The the old man being the default way you lived before. The new man being the new way you're learning to live and become like Christ. Now, when you put your faith in Christ, as we've talked about in the series, the Spirit, you're born again by the Spirit. He he comes in and lives within your heart. He says he's going to write his law in your heart. He begins to do a renovation work, and he starts on the inside. He starts on on the inside of your heart, and then it's going to work itself out. Um, but your belief comes before your behavior. But what Christ says is that he wants to come and bring a new freedom. Now, if you're if you're not a Christian, what the Bible says is, then you're still living under a dictator called self. And so yourself, uh, you're only going to go as far as your self can take you. But what Christ comes and says, well, you are not enough. You need to receive a new and a better freedom that it comes only through Christ. And so the struggle... I think as you look in verse 17, you see how Paul works it out. The desires of the flesh are against the spirit, right? So that old default mode that traps your heart and your mind in other ways of acting, uh, in, in ways of acting that don't honor the Lord, that's actually a, goes against the spirit of God. And the spirit of God is confronting those things and wanting to transform or change those things. And so he's trying to bring about trans, uh, transformation of us from the inside out. Now, we see this in our, in our lives all the time, don't we? this kind of tug of war thing that happens these days where uh, like certain days you feel like you're doing really well and other days you feel like you're doing really poorly um, I, I see it in all kinds of ways we go through a tough situation and you decide to seek the Lord you start to rely on him you go man I, I know I need the Lord I can't get myself out of this this mess that I'm in and so you begin to listen you begin to seek the Lord you begin to run after him and, and then a little bit later that situation gets fixed and all of a sudden you go oh whew. I can let my foot up now. I can relax a little bit. And you go and you run right back to the way you used to do things. You you get back in the old patterns, the old habits, the old things of doing those things. Maybe you go through a breakup uh, relationally and and in the midst of that breakup, you think, man, I've blown it again. This situation's hurt. This is painful. And so you begin to seek the Lord You go, Lord, I need you. Would you, uh, Would you be there for me? And he is. And you begin to walk with him. You begin to see some spiritual growth. But then you meet Mr. and Mrs. Wonderful. And you go right back to your old ways of doing things. You slide back into a default mode that ignores the Lord and thinks that this man or this woman is going to be the one that brings you happiness or joy. Maybe you get burned at work and you realize that you find too much for your identity and your work and in your success. And so you step back and think, man, I need to build my identity on Christ. I need to trust the Lord. I need to walk with Him. And you begin to do that. And then um, just a little while later, you get a big project, and all of a sudden, man, it's so easy to just start leaning back in and put your nose to the grindstone and just jumping back into running and running and running and thinking you're going to somehow find fulfillment by achieving the success in the next project. And you've ignored the Lord again. Any of you relate? And we all have these ups and downs and these things that we do in life. Now, incidentally, this is why Christians sometimes don't look like Christ. It's because even after we've put our faith in Christ, we can still ignore God and, and follow after the desires of self. And when that happens, we dishonor the Lord. And we don't love people around us as we should. So the spiritual life is a moment-by-moment moment struggle. Every second of every day, there's this thing going on, these desires in our hearts that are either yielding to the spirit or yielding to the flesh. And so we have to decide which, which desires we're going to give ourselves to. But friends, can I encourage you with this fact that struggle is normal? You're like, is that encouraging or discouraging? The answer is probably yes, right? Like we wish we could skip the struggle, but also ought to be freeing in some ways to know that, oh, this is the normal thing spiritually that there's a battle that goes on and the distinguishing mark of a christian is not perfection the distinguishing mark of the christian is struggle that you're willing to struggle to learn to yield to the spirit because you believe he's going to bear good fruit in your life and so the fact that you're still engaged in the struggle means that you're one of god's children that's still learning to grow in him now i love what one of my favorite quotes, C.S. Lewis, talks about our, some of our struggles and our desires. And he actually points us in the direction of where we need to go with, with some of the struggle. Because, you know, the, the, the way in which we, we struggle is not just to fight the bad stuff. We don't just need to fight. When you look at this list of the works of the flesh, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions. You look at all that nasty stuff, Right? The answer isn't just to, to fight against that stuff. See, a lot of us start off with a spiritual approach that's kind of what I call a whack-a-mole approach. Any of you remember the old arcade game of whack-a-mole? Where you, you sit and they've got the big kind of table and there's all these holes in the table and you've got a big mallet and these moles keep popping up and every time they pop up, you try to whack it on the head. And a lot of us try to live the spiritual life that way, that we're standing there like this, and as soon as, you know, it's like lust, boom, anger, boom, you know, and you're just trying to hit whatever it is that it comes up one by one, then that really is not a very good approach to fighting the spiritual life. Ultimately, you need to go to, you know, that's treating the surface issue, but it's not getting to the heart of the issue. And we have to go to a deeper place. And so what what needs to happen in our hearts is that we begin to pursue something better, that we take those things and say, that is not nearly as good as what God has for me, and so I'm going to seek something greater and better for me. C.S. Lewis says this, that we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us, like an ignorant child who goes on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday or vacation at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. And I love what C.S. Lewis says, that your desires are not too strong, they're too weak. You're settling for the little stuff. You're settling for the stuff that's never going to satisfy. And God's offering you infinite joy. You're eating a mud pie when he's like, I got a drink waiting for you with a little, uh, a little fruity, fruity uh, or a little, uh, what do they call Umbrella drinks at the beach. He's like, I've, I've got, a, I've got, a, I've got a, a lounge chair with, with a little umbrella drink waiting for you at the beach and you're sitting here drinking a mud pie in the middle of slum. Why are you settling for the less than thing when, he, when I'm giving you something better? That's, I think, where we, need, where we want to run. So you see what the works of the flesh are and how these things eventually lead us to a place of trouble. Now, one of the things that I think is important to recognize, too, when you look at that list, which one of those are the bad ones and which ones are the good ones? On the, on the works of the flesh. Well, I mean, they're all bad, right? But let me just ask you, when you think of the way Christians in our world operate, uh, do we treat all of those as equally dangerous? No, yeah, we don't at all. We pick and choose. You know, it's easy to pick on someone whose sins aren't like yours. And it's easy to try to whitewash your sins. And that's a lot of times what we do in our religiosity is we take someone else's sins and we go, oh, look at that guy. Look what he did. I mean, who would? that's disgusting. or that, That's just awful. I can't believe he would live that way. And then we take one of the other things on the list and we go, ah, I probably shouldn't do that, but it's not that big a deal. And we begin to soften it. And Paul says they're all the works of the flesh. They all separate us from God. They all create problems. And so, friends, what happens in us is sometimes we allow the, our, our mindset or our mindset to creep in that isn't really of, of the Lord. It's simply self-justification and us trying to make our, our way look a little bit better than others. Um, you know, it's interesting. One of the things I love about the Bible, um, one guy calls these uh, our, our desires for good things over desires. Uh, you realize that sometimes when good things become God things, they actually are bad things, that when you take something good and you make it an ultimate thing in your life, that it becomes an idol for you and becomes something that's actually bad. I think sometimes we justify things like anger, things like division, because we think that we have a righteous anger. And it's our over-desire for something and so we look in our world and we see an ideology that's false or we see some idea that creates all kinds of problems in our world and because of our over desire and zealousness for that for the for the right thing we actually begin to to behave in a wrong way and so uh, it creates this a sinful pattern even though our at the core our desires may not may not be all bad but it's an inordinate arrogance and anger over in seeking something good that can actually lead us in the wrong direction. And one guy says, an inaccurate understanding of the power of sin in the believer's life will lead to a distorted expect, will lead to distorted expectations of spiritual progress. Um, friends, life's going to be a struggle. We're going to have ups and downs, and part of what the struggle is is us learning to lay aside the things that are of us and of self, and learn to trust. Uh, the way of the Spirit in our lives. So uh, let's go to the, the third aspect of spiritual growth. Growth starts within. And what is Paul's solution to the fleshly desires and the spiritual desires and the conflict that's taking place there? Well, look at verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the flesh. Look at verse 18. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the loss. So you're not going to take that religious way of trying to work your way and do all the right things on, from external pressure. I um, mean, verse 16 says that the other way that you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. You won't justify those things and run after them because you're walking by the spirit. Verse 25, if we live by the spirit, let us also keep in step with the spirit. This is the answer to that battle and that struggle that we, that we sometimes, or, or that we regularly experience. And so as you think about that growth that needs to take place, Paul is going to point us in a new direction. And so in verse uh, verse twenty-two, he says, "But the fruit of the spirit is," and he goes to a different direction. Do you notice the analogy that Paul uses? Fruit. Uh, note, what's the difference between the the two lists that Paul gives? He gives us one list is the works of the flesh; the other list is the fruit of the spirit. What's the difference between acts or works and fruit? Well, acts or works are what we do, right? Fruit is something that's done in us. It's something that's birthed. Uh, something that's born. Uh, or or grown within us. And so he starts talking about the fruit of the Spirit. And friends, fruit always starts in the heart. See, our spiritual growth starts and is produced by the Spirit through an internal life source. Uh, Fruits draw nourishment from what? Roots. Right? You you draw some nourishment up from the ground. It has an internal, under-the-surface source, and it draws nourishment and water up and then eventually bears fruit and so it starts with an internal life source that's bigger than self and so fruit is external evidence of an internal life something that's happening and so the freedom that we're experiencing the fruit that we're to produce has to be drawn from something deeper than self and so ultimately it comes from from the lord ff bruce says no external force or sanction can compel the loving of a neighbor as oneself such love must be generated from within by the Spirit." So we can, we can change the laws in our country. We can even impose spiritual norms and regulations upon you, but we can't really make you love someone. We, we, can, we can slap your hand with correction whenever you don't do the right thing, but we can't make you, from an internal source, desire someone else's good in a, in a true and authentic way. Only the Spirit can do that. It has to come from within. And so if we're going to bear, bear fruit, it has to be this something inter- internal that happens. Uh, Thomas Chalmers says this, the only way to dispossess the heart of an old affection is the expulsive power of a new one. Um, it's a difficult statement. But what he's saying is, if you're going to lay aside the desires of the flesh, it, you can't just simply try to fight against those. You actually have to replace those with a greater affection. And so the, expul- or the only way to dispossess the heart of an old affection or the, the desires of the flesh is by the expulsive power of a new Affection. The presence of the Spirit. You have to replace the old with the new. And that, friends, takes time. Uh, Any of you ever, ever try to grow a fruit tree? No, we're not in there with that bill. A couple of you. Um, I've got a friend who has got an amazing spirit place and he's in a, in a place that gets very little sunshine but lots of rain so he grows all kinds of stuff and he's got an amazing garden he's got uh, amazing produce and all these different things he did i remember him telling me one time that he had a tree that he planted and he's been nurturing that wasn't going to bear a single fruit for more than seven years he sat and waited and he watched it and he watched it and he watched it and he rejoiced think of a decade-long pursuit to see anything begin to grow uh, anything begin to bear fruit Growth takes time. That's the fourth aspect of our spiritual growth. Growth takes time. A uh, Fruit takes a long time to show up. It doesn't appear overnight. It's not immediate, but it will come. Uh, and, and we may want to jump from beginning to end in our spiritual development, but most of us are going to live in the middle, and it's going to be ups and downs. But what you have to do is trust that the Lord is going to bear fruit over time, that there's going to be growth that comes together. It's also important, I think, to recognize that when uh, when you think about the fruit, notice in verse 22 when it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Um, is it fruit or fruits? It's fruit. It's singular, meaning that these, all of these things are together the fruit. And so you don't grow individually. You don't get to pick and choose like, well, I like apples and oranges, but I don't like bananas or other stuff, right? So you don't get to, you don't get to come to this list and go, well, I like, I like joy and kindness, but I'm not so big on patience, like, that'd be kind of, I mean, but we, that's kind of how we live, right? Like, when I look at the fruit of the spirit, it's like, dude, I want more joy in my life. God, would you give me more joy? And God goes, well, how about some faithfulness? Yeah. Oh, well, that sounds like hard. That's harder. Like I just, let's just do the joy thing. Um, You know, we look at that and we go, uh, you know, I, I would love to be a little more kindness. And God goes, well, what about some gentleness? well, what about faithfulness? You know, I want to be this achiever. I want to do good stuff, Lord. I want to do big things for you. I want to be super faithful for you. And he goes, well, what about self-control? And see, the thing about it being singular fruit is you don't get to pick and choose. That when God, by his Spirit, births these things in you, he births all of them. He doesn't just say you get to pick three. But all of these things are supposed to be present in our life, which means each of our lives ought to become increasingly recognizable as people who are filled with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, if you were to go to a reporter in our country and say, define a Christian for me, would they, would they, would they give that list? Maybe not. Friends, this is what the people of God ought to look like. This is what we ought to be. Now, for all of us, there's some of these come pretty easily, don't they? There's there's a there's a just a reality that in our personalities that some of these things come pretty naturally. Some of us are naturally more patient than others. Some of us are going to be naturally more faithful and diligent than others. But what Christ wants to do is he wants to bear up all of these in our lives so that we begin to flourish and look more like Jesus. He's going to shape us to look more like Christ. But it will take time. Friends, sometimes God's doing something good which we don't recognize. Do you believe that God's doing a thousand things you don't even see in your own life? And there are sometimes where you're you want to see one thing developed, and God's you're struggling, and God and His is not necessarily bringing that to fruition immediately because He's working in some other areas of your life, and you just don't realize it. You're like, Lord, I want more joy, and He's like, That's great, but let's keep working on patience, and it takes time, and, and yet there's growth that comes. Let's look at the fifth aspect of spiritual leadership, or spiritual growth. That's growth embraces. The leadership of the spirit growth embraces the leadership of the spirit now in these verses one of the things there's kind of a dance that you see all throughout galatians 5 and it's the dance of god's sovereign or gracious work in us and human in our responsibility so is it god's work or is it our work that's being done well different verses you're going to see different aspects right because it's both and so we're going to see both those things at play look at verse 25 If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. To live by the Spirit means that the Spirit has birthed life in us, that he's given us. That's something that's all of God. He he caused us to be born again. He brought life to us through his Spirit. He says, if you are alive by the Spirit, then you keep in step with the Spirit. One is an indicative. It's a description of what God's done for you. It's who you are. You're one of those that's got life by the Spirit. You're one of those that's been called a son of God because you have the Spirit. You're one of those that's identified as, as a son of God because of Christ. That's your identity. And then there's an activity that follows. Our activity or our identity always fuels our activity. He says, therefore, keep in step with the Spirit. And so he's going to push us in this new direction. When he talks about walking by the Spirit, um, the, the verb that's translated walk is a command that indicates continuous, ongoing, habitual action. And so if you're going to learn to walk by the Spirit, then you're going to develop this continual, ongoing practice of walking according to the Spirit. And so there's, a, there's an activity that happens in what, we're, what we are to do. When it talks about keeping in step with the Spirit, uh, it's actually a military Uh, A military analogy is talking about an army that's marching. Have you ever seen an army that's just marching in perfect unison? And you can just hear it like a drumbeat as their foots hit hit one step after another in their perfect unison. When it's saying keep in step with the Spirit, it's saying you need to be as in step with the Spirit as that. Have you ever watched a marching band that gets off key? Something's off and they just start going this way you know, and it's like they're marching and someone's off course and it's like, oh, this is just a nightmare. Uh, you're like, yeah, middle school. That's all of middle school. <laughs> like anyone that's ever played, seen a band in middle school, that's just it. You know, it's Mr. Holland's opus times a thousand. And it just happens over and over. And you see these things that take place. And it's just a nightmare because instruments are playing all these different things. And it's like, I can't even recognize what song it is. And maybe you can sort of make some sense out of it, but it's definitely not beautiful, right? That's what, that's the picture he's saying is when you're keeping in step with the Spirit, there's a rhythm, there's a pattern, there's a meter to it, and you're right there with the Spirit. And what the Spirit is doing, you're willing to follow His leadership. You can only have one conductor in an orchestra, and everyone else has to fall in line with that one's direction. And so, not only do we surrender to it, we embrace the Spirit's leadership, and we trust that He's going to work. And so, we have to actively pursue growth by the Spirit. Romans 8.5 says this, Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. See how active that is? See, there's this, there, there's this dance that we do through this whole passage that some of it is what we receive from God. And so it says, if, you're, if you've been given life by the Spirit, we receive that. And then there's something we actively have to pursue. It says, but you set your mind on the things of the Spirit so that um, you can live according to the Spirit. You notice some of these are passive roles, right? That we we simply rely on God. Um, Can you bear fruit? Nope. You have to trust that God's going to bear fruit in life. Ultimately, you're, you're relying on Him to sanctify us, to change us. But there's an active role of pursuing holiness and be, obedience as well. It's why First Peter one talks about the sanctification of the Spirit. Second Thessalonians two says God chose you as first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit. Romans eight thirteen. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all those who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. See, in our day, the kind of let go and let God mentality oftentimes gets presented out there. And that sounds really good on the outset, but it's just, the problem is it's just not biblical. I mean, there are some areas in which you have to let God do some things, but there's also this incredible calls to pursue the life of the Spirit, to set your mind on the things of the Spirit, to put to death the deeds of the flesh. Romans 12, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, because of God's mercy to you and what he's done in you. Present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. So, because He's done some, given you mercy, that's that's why. What do you do? You present yourself to Him, holy, and uh, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to Him. So, this last point here's what I want you to. I want to I want to make sure we, that we we understand as we apply this. That throughout the the pattern of our growth is consistent throughout all of this. Um, go back and look at Galatians 5, uh, 5.25. I'm sorry, let's go, for, uh, let's go Galatians 5.16 first. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Go to 5.25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So if we live by the Spirit, that's an indicative that's a statement about you, meaning if it's true that the Spirit has birthed new life in you, if, we, if you have life by the Spirit, then because of that, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. There's an indicative, then there's an imperative. The indicative is the declaration of what God has done for you. It's who you are. Because of who you are in Christ, then let us live this way. It's an imperative. That's a command. That's what you are to do. And so the, our, our behavior always flows out of our belief. Belief moves us in the direction of behavior. Our identity always fuels our activity. And so we have to start with what God has done for us. And because of that, we move forward into what it is, how we respond to him. Galatians 5.1, if you go back at the beginning of this chapter, says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Friends, in Christ, because of his payment for your sins, have you been set free? For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Because Christ has granted your freedom, you stand firm. Galatians 5.13. For you are called to freedom, brothers, in Christ. Only oh, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Do you see how that works? In Christ, you are called to freedom. Don't use your freedom... Is an excuse to embrace all those desires of your old default ways. But submit those so that you can love other people well. The pattern of this happens all the way through. If we're to live by the Spirit, then f- therefore um, keep in step with the Spirit. And that's the pattern of our lives. And that's got to be the grounds on which we, which we act. Uh, several years ago, there was a, a leadership thing that became pretty popular especially in business circles but also in sports circles and saying that was know your why any of you heard know your why meaning know why you do what it is you do know why you sacrifice and practice know why you pour yourself into your work know why it is that you do these things and if you you're, you're going to wear yourself out and get tired if you don't understand why it is that you do these things that has to be what compels you so friends why do you keep in step with the spirit Why do you say no to the desires of the flesh and yes to the things of the Spirit? Ultimately, it's got to be about God. It's got to be about a relationship that we have with Him, a loving Heavenly Father, a sacrificial Savior who's His Son, and an ever-present Spirit who's a helper, who will always be with you. That ultimately, our whole lives get oriented by Him. Let's let God be our why. And then let's say no to the old default ways, and let's say yes to the Spirit-led ways. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray through Christ and by your Spirit that you would give us life in you, that we might be able to rest in the finished work of Jesus on the cross and in the work of the Spirit in us, that we have been regenerated, that we have been baptized into the body of Christ, that we have a new identity in him, that we are indwelt by your Holy Spirit, that we are sealed for the day of redemption, and you will guard us and protect us and deliver us to eternal life secure, that we are safe in him. And because of that, Lord, would you you cause us to, to walk by the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit. We might honor you in life and love one another well. Pray in Christ's name. Amen.